You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his short documentary, Twelve Stones, our first guest, director Sandy Smolin, captures the journey of a group of illiterate women in southern Nepal who, with the help of Heifer International, rise from poverty to reclaim a hopeful future. Twelve Stones will screen at the Newport Film Festival April 29th and 30th. Sandy Smolin, welcome to film school. Welcome. How are you? (laughs) Good. How are you doing? Very good. All right. You have a good... You're all situated now with your cell phone? (laughs) I am. I am indeed. All right. Very good. We we, we reach you in a in a dark alley in New York somewhere. Or? Actually, the back of an Indian restaurant on uh, uh, Lexington Avenue in uh, Manhattan. All right. Very Fantastic. good. Fantastic. I hope I hope you have a good meal there. Uh. Yeah. Let's, let's tell us how how did you first run into Heifer International? Um, I was approached by somebody from Heifer who had uh, heard of my work, and they were looking for somebody. And a, and a documentary background. They had done some films before about some of their programs, but they knew they had something very special in Nepal, and they were looking for someone to bring a, a, a slightly more dramatic approach to it and, and to really sort of capture emotionally uh-huh. the excitement of, uh, and the remarkable quality of the program that they had been working on there. Well, the, the location that you're at in Nepal is just is beautiful looking. Did they have that all mapped out for you and, and uh, send you over? No, they, they you know, they... they Talk to us about the project, about the organization, and, and we were sort of intrigued. You know, having started out in documentaries, um, I was I was interested, immediately interested. But um, you know, we didn't. You know, it was at that point still kind of intellectual and on paper. And we realized to do it justice, we needed to go over there and take a look at the program. So we went over in in the fall of two thousand and eight, um, and um, fall two thousand seven actually, and uh, and spent about 10 days scouting and, and covered a fair amount of area. We started uh, in southern Nepal, then went up to Pokhara, and then back towards Kathmandu. And it was once we were there and met these women and saw how remarkable the transformation was that we knew we wanted to come back and, and, and bring a full uh, a, a crew back and, and do it properly. Uh-huh. And it was interesting because we ended up, just once, once you see how beautiful it is, and also just try to find a way to tell that story filmically, I ended up bringing a feature DP with me when we came back. It was a small documentary crew, but um, a lot of people had worked in features because we wanted to make it uh, not not a typical documentary and, and to bring a kind of style in filmmaking that could help tell the story. Well, it, it looks beautiful. It looks fantastic. And, and not only the... Uh the, the set shots, the scenery, but when you're getting in close with the women there, it's, you just did a, a wonderful job of it. When you arrive there, I mean, you know that it's 40% illiterate, and I, I guess per capita it's $270 a year that they're making there. Did did you really get a, a, a good feel for what these people were working with when, you know, when they started? Uh, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, the, the, and there, you know, in many cases they would show us the houses that they lived in prior to being part of the program before they were able to build their own houses. And they were as small and, and as bare and as basic as you can imagine. And to go to that, to building their own homes, uh, you, know, you could see just immediately the difference. The, the villages where these women had gone through the program 
and the parts of those villages compared to the ones who haven't yet. Um, the difference is just day and night. Uh, just yeah, really, really stark uh, contrast. And you know, with with that kind of per capita income, a little bit of money goes a long way. So when they're when they're suddenly doubling their income and suddenly having a sustainable source of income, the, what they're able to do is huge. Sending their kids to school, building, putting you know, metal roofs on their homes, building new homes, starting cooperatives, and and, and uh, they're you know they're really being trained. On how to how to become completely independent and, and be taken out of poverty, and that's a huge achievement. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say on the on behalf of the Heifer Foundation, and just uh, th- we're we're talking about one of the poorest countries on the planet, and and to be able to go in and have this kind of an impact in this environment uh, says an awful lot about uh, the system that they have put in place uh, through the, through uh, Heifer International to be able to help uh, people in such abject poverty as this. Um, did you now? There's there's an interesting twist to this story in that uh, women play a very prominent part of this of this story. We want to talk a little bit about that and how that came to pass. We've talked a lot about this with Heifer. They you know they work with men, they work with women. In certain countries, they found more success initially starting with the women, but then the men come on board and, and are also um, be asked to be part of the training. Um, the men are initially in Nepal were a little reluctant to let their wives go off and, and take the time, but once they saw the benefits, they they jumped on board and realized that this was good for the whole family. But they have found over the years that traditionally, if you give the aid, if you give the animals to women, it will serve the whole family. And in the past, if you gave it to the men, they would often would not they would be gambled away or be you know they mm-hmm. be drinking. But the women take this huge sense of responsibility for taking care of their families that then benefits the men and benefits the children. And that's what was so impressive to me in Nepal was just the way these women who went from being subservient to their husbands, having no say in, in any kind of decisions within their family, suddenly within two years of being part of this program, were buying animals, making loans to each other, um, sending their kids to school, as I mentioned, and, and themselves had gone through this transformation and you know that they would never be poor again, uh, and, and certainly not poor of the spirit, but not poor economically either. Yeah. Now, now, Steve, you uh, filmed almost the whole sequence of, of Heifer, at least it seemed like you did, because you got down to the very end where they were the giving of, of, uh, of an animal to other people to spread the wealth around. Uh, how did that go? How long were you there in Nepal shooting? But two answers to that. One is, Wherever a heifer goes, part, real, uh, a real essential component of their program is what they call passing of a gift. Uh-huh. That if they give an animal to someone, they ask that when the, uh, the animal is bred, the first offspring be given to another family. And what's interesting is that next family, even though they're not obliged, they will often give the offspring to another family. So if someone here makes the donation of a gift of a goat to one family, in fact, that one goat will often benefit three to four families at minimum. Um, but in terms of the question about the, the ceremony, we, you know, we knew that that was going to be kind of a centerpiece of the film and that we were trying to build that. Um, we were in Nepal for about 16 days, um, and we shot that uh, towards the end. And I knew just as a director, sort of stylistically, I wanted to find a way of, of conveying the, just the excitement of, of what they were going through. 
Um, and that's why we decided to shoot it in a pretty stylized way. Um, in fact, my DP, when he came back and looked at it, saw the cut, said, did we shoot that in slow motion? Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and couldn't believe that we hadn't shot it for real in case we ever needed it. But I, just, I knew you know, those, it's those decisions that you need to make in production. Yeah. I knew that's the way that we wanted to tell that part of the story. Yeah, it worked beautifully. It really did. You really captured the joy on their faces and the excitement of that moment for them by doing that. Uh, just to wrap up, uh, we're, uh, I know you have an extensive background in, uh, in, in directing TV shows. By the way, you did a Weird Science. I just got an uh, episode, which was one of those underrated comedies. I'm just going to throw in that little bit, but uh, a terrific show. But you've done so much TV here. Uh, now you're doing this. You've done this uh, documentary. Are you inspired to do um, more of that kind of thing? Or uh... I, I, I am. It, it really brought me back to roots. Um, I, when I was 20, I went to North Africa and shot my first documentary in Tunisia, Algeria, and Morocco. And going back to Nepal 20 years later, after having done features and television, um, made me feel like I was coming back full circle, but that I could bring a whole wealth of experience. Uh, Maddox filmmaking to documentaries, and um, that there's a uh, an interesting place where the two intersect. That I think I have a home in the future. So I'm uh, definitely, uh, you know, uh, very insp- it was very inspiring to make this film, to be in a country like that, yeah. and to meet people like that, and have a and to be able to bring that those stories back to people here, and to bring it, you know, with with the experience of how to make a how to make a movie. Uh, and how to, make, how to uh, use the language of, of film to tell a story. I understand you're going to be at the uh, Newport Beach Film Festival on the 29th and the 30th uh, during the or and after the the film showing to take a question and answer period. Is that, is that correct? Well, that's correct. And actually, on the 29th, uh, the DP, the composer, the possibly the editor, producer, associate producer, a lot of the crew will be coming down because it's our first. Local screening. Um, we just premiered it in Tallahassee last weekend, and I can please report that we won uh, best short. And uh, then it played in Atlanta uh, on Saturday. Um, tonight, Susan Sarandon is sponsoring a screening in New York, and then it's in Boston and Palm Beach later this week. So, oh, fantastic! This, this, I'm sorry. Yeah. So this is sort of the early early stages of the release. So. The Newport screening will be the first California screening of the movie, so we hope people can come join us. Well, it's a terrific film, and uh, we look forward to seeing it at the Newport Beach Film Festival. And uh, y- any uh, documentaries you do in the future, please let us know about it. We'd be uh, thrilled to have you back on for those Ab- as well. Absolutely. Thanks for the interview, guys. Thank All you. right. Thank film you. is 12 Stones. Sandy Smolin, thanks for being on Film School. Thank you very much. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.